Chapter Four of We of the Never Never by Jeanie, Mrs. Aeneas Gunn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four, the swim being beyond the horses, they were left hobbled out on the north banks to wait for the river to fall, and after another swift race down and across stream, mine host landed every one safely on the south side of the flood, and soon we were clambering up the steep track that led from the river to the pub. Coming up from the river, the Catherine settlement appeared to consist solely of the pub and its accompanying store. But beyond the pub, which by the way seemed to be hanging on to its own veranda posts for support, we found an elongated, three-roomed building nestling under deep verandas and half-hidden under a grove of lofty scarlet-flowering pontianas. The cottage is always set apart for distinguished visitors, mine host said, bidding us welcome with another smile, but never a hint that he was placing his own private quarters at our disposal. Like all bushmen, he could be delicately reticent when conferring a favour, but a forgotten razor-strop betrayed him later on. In the meantime, we discovered the remainder of the settlement from the cottage verandas, spying out the police station as it lurked in ambush just round the first bend in a winding bush-track, apparently keeping one eye on the pub. And then we caught a gleam of white roofs, away beyond further bends in the track, where the Overland Telegraph Department stood on a little rise, aloof from the pub and the police, shut away from the world, yet attending to its affairs, and, incidentally, to those of the bush folk. A tiny settlement with a tiny permanent population of four men and two women. Women who found their own homes all sufficient, and rarely left them, although the men folk were here, there, and everywhere. All around and within the settlement was bush, and beyond the bush, stretching away and away on every side of it, those hundreds of thousands of square miles that constitute the never-never, miles sending out and absorbing, again, from day to day, the floating population of the Catherine. Before supper the telegraph department and the police station called on the cottage to present compliments. Then the wag came with his welcome. "'Didn't expect you to-day,' he drawled with unmistakable double meaning in his drawl. "'You've come sooner than we expected. Must have had luck with the rivers.' And Mac became enthusiastic. "'Luck!' he cried. "'Luck! She's got the luck of old Yen himself, skinned through everything by the skin of our teeth. No one else will get through those rivers under a week.' And they didn't. Remembering the telegrams, the wag shot a swift, quizzing glance at him. But it took more than a glance to disconcert Mac once his mind was made up, and he met it unmoved, and entered into a vivid description of the passage of the Ferguson, which filled in our time until supper. After supper, the cottage returned the calls, and then, rain coming down in torrents, the telegraph, the police, the cottage, and the pub retired to rest, wondering what the morrow would bring forth. The morrow brought forth more rain, and the certainty that, as the river was still rising, the swim would be beyond the horses for several days yet, and, because of this uncertainty, the Catherine bestirred itself to honour its tethered guests. The telegraph and the police station issued invitations for dinner, and the pub that had already issued a hint that the boys could refrain from knocking down cheques as long as a woman was staying in the place, now issued an edict limiting the number of daily drinks per man. The invitations were accepted with pleasure, and the edict was attended to with a murmur of approval in which, however, 
there was one dissenting voice a little bearded bushman thought the catherine was overdoing itself a bit and suggested as an amendment that drinks could make themselves scarce when she's about but mine host easily silenced him by offering to see what the missus thought about it then for a day the catherine took its bearings and keen scrutinizing glances summed up the unknown woman looking her through and through until she was no longer an unknown woman while the maluka looked uninterested he knew the bush folk well and that their instinct would be unerring and left the missus to slip into whichever niche in their lives they thought fit to place her and as she slipped into a niche built up of strong staunch comradeship the black community considered that they too had fathomed the missus and it became history in the camp that the maluka had stolen her from a powerful chief of the whites and deeming it wise to disappear with her until the affair had blown over had put many flooded rivers between him and his pursuers would any woman have flung herself across rivers on wires speeding on without rest or pause unless afraid of pursuit the camp asked in committee and the most sceptical were silenced then followed other days full of pleasant intercourse for once sure of its welcome bushmen are lavish with their friendship and as we roamed about the tiny settlement the wag and others vied with the maluka mine host and mac in making things pleasant for the missus relating experiences for her entertainment showing all there was to be shown and obeying the edict with cheerful unquestioning chivalry neither the headstockman nor the little bushman however had made any offers of friendship dan having gone out to the station immediately after interviewing the maluka while the little bushman spent most of his time getting out of the way of the missus whenever she appeared on his horizon a tam o'shanter fleeing from the furies of a too fertile imagination the maluka laughed after a particularly comic dash to cover poor tam those days must live in his memory like a hideous nightmare i of course knew nothing of the edict at the time for bushmen do not advertise their chivalry and wandered around the straggling settlement vaguely surprised at its sobriety and turning up in such unexpected places that the little bushman was constantly on the verge of apoplexy but experience teaches quickly on the first day after running into me several times he learned the wisdom of spying out the land before turning a corner on the second day after we had come on him while thus engaged several other times he learned the foolishness of placing too much confidence in corners and decided by the law of averages that the bar was the only safe place in the settlement availed himself of its sanctuary in times of danger on the third day he learned that the law of averages is a weak reed to lean on for on slipping round a corner and mistaking a warning signal from the wag he whisked into the bar to whisk out again with a clatter of hobnail boots for i was in there examining some native curios she's in there next he gasped as he passed the wag on his way to cover of the nearest corner poor tam how he must have hated women as he lurked in the doubtful ambush of that corner how he did scute the wag chuckled later on when recounting with glee to the maluka and mac the story of tam's dash for cover pitying tam i took his part and said he seemed a sober decent little man and couldn't help being shy then paused wondering at the queer expression on the men's faces mac coughed in embarrassment and the maluka and the wag seemed preoccupied and fearing i had been misunderstood i added hastily 
so is everyone in the settlement for that matter thereby causing further embarrassment after a short intense silence the wag thought he'd be getting along and as he moved off the maluka laughed oh missus missus and mac blurted out the whole tale of the edict concluding rather ambiguously by saying don't you go thinking it's made any difference to any of us because it hasn't we're not saints but we're not pigs and besides it was a pleasure i doubted if it was much pleasure to tam o'shanter but forgetting he was sober by compulsion even he had begun to feel virtuous and when he heard that he had been called a sober decent little man he positively swaggered and on the fourth morning walked jauntily past the cottage and ventured a quiet good morning a simple enough little incident in itself but it proved tam's kinship with his fellow-man for is it not the knowledge that someone thinks well of us that makes us feel at ease in that person's company later in the same day the flood having fallen it was decided that it would be well to cross the horses in the rear of a boat and we were all at the river discussing preparations when tam electrified the community by joining the group in the awkward pause that followed his arrival he passed a general remark about dogs there were several with us and everyone plunged into dog yarns until tam losing his head over the success of his maiden speech became so communicative on the subject of a dog fight that he had to be surreptitiously kicked into silence looks like more rain max said abruptly hoping to draw public attention from the pantomime ought to get off as soon as possible or will be blocked by the king the catherine seized on a new topic of conversation and advised getting out to the five mile overnight declaring it would take all day to get away from the settlement in the morning then came another awkward pause while everyone kept one eye on tam until the maluka saved the situation by calling for volunteers to help with the horses and tam being pressed into the service the boat was launched and he was soon safe over the far side of the river once among the horses the little man was transformed in the quiet confident horseman that rode down the gorge a few minutes later it would have been difficult to recognize the shy timid bushman the saddle had given him backbone and it soon appeared he was right-hand man and at times even organizer in the difficult task of crossing horses through a deep swift-running current as the flood was three or four hundred yards wide and many feet deep a swim was impossible without help and every horse was to be supported or guided or dragged over in the rear of the boat with a halter held by a man in the stern it was no child's play every inch of the way had its difficulties the poor brutes knew the swim was beyond them and as the boat pulling steadily on dragged them from the shallows into the deeper water they plunged and snorted in fear until they found themselves swimming and were obliged to give all their attention to keeping themselves afloat some required little assistance when once off their feet just a slow steady pull from the oars and a taut enough halter to lean on in the tight places but others rolled over like logs when the full force of the current struck them threatening to drag the boat under as it and the horse raced away downstream with the oarsmen straining their utmost it was hard enough work for the oarsmen but the seat of honor was in the stern of the boat and no man filled it better than the transformed tam alert and full of resource with one hand on the tiller he leaned over the boat lengthening or shortening rope for the halter and regulating the speed of the oarsmen with unerring judgment giving a staunch swimmer time 
and a short rope to lean on, or literally dragging the faint-hearted across at full speed, careful then only of one thing, to keep the head above water. Never again would I judge a man by one of his failings. There were ten horses in all to cross, and at the end of two hours' hard pulling there was only one left to cross. Old Roper Mac took the halter into his own hands. There was no one else worthy, and, slipping into the stern of the boat, spoke first to the horse, and then to the oarsman, and as the boat glided forward, the noble trusting old horse, confident that his long-time human friend would set him no impossible task, came quietly through the shallows, sniffing questions at the half-submerged bushes. "'Give him time,' Mac called. "'Let him think it out,' as step by step Roper followed, the halter running slack on the water. When almost out of his depth, he paused just a moment, then, obeying the tightening rope, lifted himself to the flood and struck firmly and bravely out. Staunchly he and Mac dealt with the current, taking time and approaching it quietly, meeting it with taut rope and unflinching nerve, drifting for a few breaths to judge its force. Then, nothing daunted, they battled forward, stroke after stroke, and won across without once pulling the boat out of its course. Only Roper could have done it, and when the splendid neck and shoulders appeared above water, as he touched bottom, on the submerged track, he was greeted with a cheer and a hearty unanimous, Bravo, old chap! Then Mac returned thanks with a grateful look, and, leaping ashore, looked over the beautiful, wet, shining limbs, declaring he could have done it on his own, if required. Once assured that we were anxious for a start, the Catherine set about speeding the parting guests with gifts of farewell. The wag brought fresh tomatoes and a cucumber. The telegraph sent eggs. The police a freshly baked cake. The Chinese cook baked bread. And mine host came with a few potatoes and a flat iron. To the surprise of the Catherine, I received the potatoes without enthusiasm, not having been long enough in the territory to know their rare value. And besides, I was puzzling over the flat iron. "'What's it for?' I asked, and the wag shouted in mock amazement. "'For? To iron duds with, of course,' as mine host assured it it was of no use to him beyond keeping a door open. Still puzzled, I said I thought there would not be any need to iron duds until we reached the homestead, and the Maluka said quietly, "'It's for the homestead. There will be nothing like it there.' Mac exploded with an impetuous, "'Good heavens! What does she expect?' first pillows and now irons gradually realizing that down south we have little idea of what rough means to a bushman i had from day to day been modifying my ideas of a station home from a mansion to a commodious wooden cottage plainly but comfortably furnished the cottage had confirmed this idea but mac soon settled the question beyond all doubt look here he said emphatically before she leaves this place she'll just have to grasp things a bit better and sitting down on a swag he talked rapidly for ten minutes taking a queer delight in making everything sound as bad as possible knocking the stiffening out of the missus as he phrased it and certainly bringing the commodious station home about her ears which was just as well perhaps after a few scathing remarks on the homestead in general which he called one of those down at heels anything'll do sort of places he described the house. It's mostly verandas and promises, he said, but one room is finished. 
we call it the house but you'll probably call it a hut even though it has got doors and calico windows framed and on hinges then followed an inventory of the furniture there's one fairly steady good-sized table at least it doesn't fall over unless someone leans on it then there's a bed with a wire mattress but nothing else on it and there's a chair or two up to your weight the boss'll either have to stand up or lie down and i don't know that there's much else excepting plenty of cups and plates they're enamel fortunately so you won't have much trouble with the servants breaking things of course there's a christmas card and a few works of art on the wall for you to look at when you're tired of looking at yourself in the glass yes there's a looking-glass goodness knows how it got there you ought to be thankful for that and the wire mattress you won't find many of them out bush i humbly acknowledged thankfulness and felt deeply grateful to mine host when with ready thoughtfulness he brought a couple of china cups and stood them among the baggage the heart of mine host was as warm and sincere as his flashing smiles i learned in time to be indifferent to china cups but that flat iron became one of my most cherished possessions how it got to the catherine is a long long story touching on three continents a man a woman and a baby the commodious station home destroyed the catherine bestirred itself further in the speeding of its guests the telegraph came with the offer of their buggy and then the police offered theirs but mine host harnessing two nuggety little horses into his buckboard drove round to the store declaring a buckboard was the only thing for the road you won't feel the journey in it at all he said and drove us round the settlement to prove how pleasant and easy travelling could be in the wet no buggy obtainable murmured the maluka reviewing the three offers but the sanguine scot was quite unabashed and answered coolly you forget those telegrams were sent to that other woman the goer you know there was no buggy obtainable for her by george wasn't she a snorter i knew i'd block her somehow and then he added with a gallant bow and a flourish you can see for yourselves chaps that she didn't come the wag mimicked the bow and the flourish and then suggested accepting all three vehicles and having a procession a triumphal exit that'll knock spots off pine creek there'd be one apiece he said and with jackaroo as outrider and loose horses to fill in with we could make a real good thing of it if we tried there's tam now he's had a fair amount of practice lately dodging round corners and if he and i stood on opposite sides of the track and dodged round bushes directly the procession passed coming out farther along we could line the track for miles with cheering crowds the buckboard only being decided on he expressed himself bitterly disappointed but promised to do his best with that and the horses until hearing that mac was to go out to the five mile overnight with the pack team and loose horses leaving us to follow at sun-up he became disconsolate and refused even to witness the departure i'd have willingly bust myself cheering a procession and lining the track with frantic crowds he said but i'm too fat to work up any enthusiasm over two people in a buckboard a little before sundown mac set out after instructing the catherine to get the buckboard off early and just before the catherine turned in for the night the maluka went to the office to settle accounts with mine host in five minutes he was back standing among the ponchianas and then after a little while of silence he said gently mac was right a woman does not represent business here mine host had indignantly refused payment for a woman's board and lodging i had to pay though 
the Maluka laughed, with one of his quick changes of humour. But then, I'm only a man. End of chapter 4